DRESS. It stands for Drug Reaction with Eosinophilia and Systemic Symptoms, and it can present in anyone of any age who has a severe drug reaction that makes its presence known with a multitude of dangerous symptoms. On this podcast, Addressing Dress, the Dress Syndrome Foundation brings you stories of the patients, caregivers, doctors, and researchers who are working to bring awareness to this often misunderstood and misdiagnosed condition. I'm Connie Stevens, and on today's episode, we feature one patient who is still learning more about the genetic link of her dress episode so she can keep herself safe from a future outbreak and ensure that her children also make the best medical choices. My name is Teresa Stickney, and I'm a dress survivor to vancomycin. 2017 was when my dress occurred. I'm from the Philadelphia area, Narbeth, Pennsylvania. I have four children um, and a very supportive family who helped me survive and thrive. I had been exercising daily and not practicing nursing, but I am a nurse by practice. And I went and gave blood one day and the next couple days I was not feeling well at all. And Several days later, I continued to work out, of course, which was a bad move at the time. But several days later, I um, collapsed in my bathroom and went to the hospital. I had very, very low blood pressures, 80s over 40s, and ended up getting five liters of fluid. During that time, they did a septic workup, which they checked me. Um, They did two blood cultures, blood cultures times two, both arms, um, a chest x-ray, and gave me the liters of fluid, sent me home the next day, and... Three days later, I spiked a fever, 103, woke my husband up, told him we needed to leave and go to the hospital. He had prepped all night for a colonoscopy. My son had just gotten home from college, so my son drove him to his colonoscopy, dropped me at the ER, and when I was there, I thought, okay, now the doctor came in and said, you have, an, you have a pneumonia, your chest x-ray is different from days before, we're going to send you home on antibiotics. And when I called my husband and my son and said, you can pick me up in a couple hours, I'm going home. He was done his test. When they got there to pick me up, the infectious disease doctors that I had known from working at the hospital, one of the infectious disease doctors walked in and I thought, oh, he's in the wrong room. This is, he's here for a different patient. And he looked at me and he said, you're going up into isolation. You have E. coli and MRSA in your blood. And I said, there's got to be a mistake. And he said, no, it's not. But it was only in one out of four bottles. So that is significant because if you have a blood infection, it would normally test two bottles, an anaerobic and an aerobic from one arm and also from the other arm. Mine only tested one out of four bottles. So <laughs> so at this point, you're hearing that you've got pneumonia, E. coli, MRSA. Yes, And And I worked in the hospital for years and never got any of them and worked with a huge population of MRSA patients because of the ventilators. And it has now become a much more community-based infection rather than a hospital-based infection. So were you sent home for isolation or were you admitted? No, I was admitted. I was started on IV vancomycin, IV Leviquin, which began my dress experience. Um, I had... um, Never had issues giving blood, getting blood, anything. You know, I would bruise, but other than that, no issues. 
throughout my stay in the hospital, it became more and more painful. Every blood draw, there would be little um, clots afterwards. There would be um, phlebitis and inflammation in my veins. And they began to, um, I needed a pick line in order to go home. So I needed a line that they could, I could administer the antibiotic at home because if not, they would have to keep me in the hospital and I didn't want to be in the hospital. I mean, you're in isolation, you're in your room, you're not allowed to leave. You're, and every blood culture that they did after that never ever showed anything. It never showed E. coli or MRSA. So there was never, there's, I was sick, they had to treat it. They say that it's never a contaminant, but there was, never any cultures that grew after that that were positive. So you don't even know if the antibiotics that you took at that point were even necessary? I was sick. So I'm assuming that they were necessary. I don't know that they would have if they had known. If it hadn't been an E. coli and MRSA, I don't know that I would have been on such a high dose. Maybe I would have gone home on an oral. Maybe it would have been a shorter dose. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's an unknown factor. But I did several times. They tried at the bedside to get a PICC line in. They couldn't. They took me to interventional radiology. And after the third attempt, I almost said no more, no more. But I so desperately wanted to go home. It was approaching Mother's Day. Um, I, my son had just come home from college, and I wanted to go home. So I let them try the fourth time. She got it. When they thread it in your arm, I don't know if she touched something, but I had this horrendous vagal response. I thought I was gonna vomit, I thought I was gonna pass out. I So they started pushing Zofran, they started giving me pain medicine, and I just, it was in, they took an x-ray, it was okay to use, they sent me up. I said I was in terrible pain, I had a horrible headache, they gave me morphine. I don't know if they pushed it too fast, but it felt like my head was gonna explode. So after that, I, said everybody out. I took some time to myself. Um, I got discharged the next day. They, I had one dose in the hospital, another IV dose in the hospital. They delivered it. I took my second dose that evening at home. I continued on my um, antibiotic dosage until I, I guess it was a full 10-day supply of both of them. They switched me to PO Leviquin, by mouth Leviquin in the hospital after I had um, become stabilized and labs looked better. I started the couple days before my pick line was due to come out, I had started to develop these ulcers in my mouth and not feeling so well. My Where I was giving the infusion was painful, but that's very common with vancomycin. And if you administer it too quickly, sometimes the patient gets very, very red. Well, at this point, you're supposed to be getting better, better. but but you're not. No, I, I did feel better. I did, but I was so exhausted and so worn down. Um, you know, you're spending time in a tiny, tiny hospital room where you're not exercising, you're not able to do, and you just become very deconditioned very quickly. So I was exhausted. We, it was Memorial Day weekend. We were headed to the shore. I had several appointments after I had the PICC line. I saw the infectious disease doctor. I saw my um, hematologist because my ferritin level is low. And I had, after giving blood, thought maybe I should, I started to take iron because I was feeling very low. I saw um, 
my infectious disease doctor, everybody said everything was good. I had seen my primary, my chest x-ray was clear. I was on the mend, so we went to the shore. And on my way down the shore, I was just, I was driving into the sun and I was, my chest was burning. And it's only an hour and 20 minutes, an hour and a half. But I was in such excruciating pain and just felt like I was on fire. And I just thought, I'm, I'm just exhausted. I'm doing too much. Got down the shore. I got upstairs. I took my shirt off. And I realized I'm having a drug rash. It was raised. It was bubbly. It was, it was something that if my children had come in, if I had seen them, it, I would have given them a Benadryl. Anybody I saw, I would have said, oh, you're having a rash. Like, this is an allergic reaction to something. I, but because I had just been on two very high-dose drugs, I knew that it was a drug rash. I got at to the hospital at 7.30 p.m. The doctor recognized it. He thought with my mouth ulcers that it was Steven Johnson syndrome, gave me an IV dose of steroids, gave me Benadryl, hydralazine, um, Atarax, which is a carafate solution for your mouth, um, to swish and um, spit to help with the ulcers. I got a second IV dose. So they're treating you for Stevens-Johnson. They were treating me for a drug reaction that could develop, and he had said it may be early Stevens-Johnson's. He had been a doctor in New York City and had seen it. So that immediately put red flags. I said I wanted to go home. I wanted to be near. I mean, the hospitals at the shore, they're not university hospitals. They're not teaching hospitals. They're not as up to date on, and I mean, I, I had wonderful care, so it was not, I'm not in no way negating the care I had, but I wanted to be home. I call the infectious disease doctor and I say, I'm coming in, I'm, and she said, I talked to the doctor last night till 2.30 in the morning, you need to go home and let the steroids work. And I thought, oh, okay. But my gut was telling me it was something, if it was Steven Johnson's, I wanted to be, I wanted to be taken care of. I didn't want to go bad quickly. So I went home, and at 4 in the morning, I woke my husband up, and I said, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm in excruciating pain. I need to go back to the hospital. And I had 103 fever. I think I took Motrin prior to it because I was having a dry cough. So that was another drug that I had taken. So I had taken Vanco, Leviquin, Motrin, Iron. Benadryl. Um, Benadryl, Hydralazine. Atarax, um, and maybe a couple other while I was hospitalized that I would have to look back at my records. So when I got to my hospital that I had worked at for years and who I, where I had just been treated, by I got there at 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. By 6.30 a.m. they had said, you're going to Penn. They have a med derm department. Because I thought I would go to Crozier Chester, which is a burn unit. And I that's where I thought I would be admitted. So I was confused when they said I was going to Penn, and they said, no, they have a med derm division. You'll be treated down there. They handle these conditions the best. The pain that you were experiencing in the middle of the night, and you knew you needed more help, that was, that was from the rash still? It was fever. It was aches. It was just sicker than I had probably ever been. By 10.30, I looked down, and my hands and my feet were black. And I have no idea why, but I said, get the doctor. My husband ran, got the doctor. The doctor did not know what was going on. I mean, he actually looked kind of scared. I mean, nobody really understood what had just happened and why my peripheral circulation was gone. I said to my husband, call my sister, tell her to come. Because um, I didn't want him to have to make decisions for me. 
I thought I'm going to be on a ventilator within a very short period of time. I just was not optimistic at the time when I saw that, you know, basically I was shunting, like I was stealing blood from my extremities to, you know, perfuse other areas. And I had seen that. I had taken care of patients who had, you know, septic and had not had good outcomes. So I was very aware, very practical at the time. And my sister got there and she is a fierce advocate and she is a phenomenal, phenomenal nurse. And and what had complicated my admission to Penn was they needed an isolation room because I had recently had bacteremia, had MRSA and E. coli, and they wouldn't put me in a room without it being a negative airflow room and a isolation room. So I did not get transferred that night until 6 p.m., but in the interim around 11.30-12, I gained eight pounds of fluid. I couldn't walk, and nobody really could explain what was going on. And at that point, they had given me Toradol, they had given me Tylenol to try to bring the fever down. They were, they were doing everything. And when I got to Penn, they decided to, I think fairly early on that they decided that they were going to um, start IVIG, but I don't believe I got it that night. I believe I got it the next night because they wanted to check a marker IgG, I believe, um, before they started it. At that point, there's a time when they're no longer just treating symptoms. They are now looking at underlying causes yes. at this point. Yes, but I still was a Stephen Johnson's 10 patient verse, but not clinically significant enough there because I did not have the skin sloughing, which they had felt would be much more prominent as, but I was continuing to erupt. So I think when I arrived at the hospital, I was between 50 and 60 body surface area percentage covered. And I know at my worst, I was probably close to 90% skin coverage. Did you ever end up on that ventilator? I did not. And I never ended up in the ICU. I was, but I mean, I was, there were days where I was snowed. Um, My sister, I remember looking over at one point and looking at my husband and my sister thinking, I am going to die. They look terrified. And it went back to basics nursing care. She turned me every two hours. Um, She put the ointments on my skin so that I didn't have any further skin breakdown so that the areas that erupted that did open, that they didn't become infected. Um, and then they did start steroids uh, fairly soon after. And I believe that was when I met Dr. Rosenbach and he favored the clinical picture of dress, but it was just atypical with my arthralgias and the swelling of my joints. And I know the first night they threw every consult, ENT came to see me, um, GYN came, rheumatology, ophthalmology, medderm, regular medicine, so all of those specialties were chiming in on my case. Tell us about how that doctor comes in who makes the dress connection at that I point. I think they were all thinking it. I th- he was so patient, and he sat with my sister and my husband, and he went through everything that they were checking me for. He asked about travel. Um, I know he checked me for chikungunya virus and dengue fever, and I remember thinking, those are crazy words. And... Um, he did believe that it was dress, but I was not a clinical picture. So he was ruling out other things the entire time that I was a patient there. And I officially got diagnosed with dress after I gave samples in December when I went down to Vanderbilt. And we knew that then that it was between Vanco and Leviquin 
And then I guess sometime by March, when I went, March of 18, I went down with my oldest son, and I don't know when it was discovered, but that it was definitely vancomycin dress. But it was dress fits best. It was serum-like sickness. It was, I was equivocal for 10-ga with one of them. There, there was lupus. There was, I mean, there was so many different Epstein-Barr, Lyme's, HIV, um, mycoplasm, rubella. I mean, Coxsackie, Parvo, Brawls. I had low compliments. I pseudogout. I mean, they were looking at absolutely everything. I was probably a crazy expensive patient with all the amount of tests they were running. And that, I mean, a lot of them weren't done until even after I got out of the hospital. So in, in this, at this point, it's only been like six months and it starts out with this MRSA out of nowhere. This must have been incredibly frustrating for you. And I think, I think I was too out of it to really understand how sick I was and whether I was out of it because I was sick and running fevers. I mean, I had rigors, I had sweats, I had chills. I was laying basically naked with the, they're called chucks, the plastic side on my body with wrapped in high, high dose steroid cream. So I was laying in a bed on plastic, having fevers and chills covered with plastic. There was light at the end of the tunnel, but there was no real, I wasn't getting much better after, but once they started the steroids, my eosinophils did start to climb. It was a dramatic change over the weekend. He had seen me on Friday, and by Monday I was like, I, I just felt so much better. My legs and that walking and ambulating still were a challenge. The blood would pool when I stood up and the swelling would become dramatic. They wanted to do another biopsy of my foot, which my sister and I were refusing because we didn't know if that area would heal with hydrosteroids. And we knew that that was where this was going, that I was going. I was only on 30 and 30, and then it went to 45 and 45. And then I think that night they wanted me to have 50, but they were trying to give me 50 more. Plus there was IV. They were trying to bolus with IV doses. So I think the one day I had 130, maybe 160 another day. And I really, I really turned the corner. Well, it sounds like your recovery took a long time. Are you completely, well, you don't completely recover. I, do, I, I think I have some very strange things that happen. My hands and feet peeled and um, months after, and it was hard to walk because once they, once you would walk, it would pull the new skin. So there were issues that I still have hand and feet sensitivity. After the steroids and getting back and being able to exercise again, I mean, it has taken a long time. You alter the way you do things. You alter things that you wouldn't normally alter that wouldn't, you wouldn't give it another thought at the time. I mean, I try not to take anything and I just really am not a big fan of antibiotics. I think they've been overused. Well, it sounds like you are, are on a mission and, and I think it's probably not just for you. No. Do you have any advice for patients who have come to find this podcast? I mean... Believe in what you feel, that if you feel something's wrong, challenge it, ask questions. I would certainly tell somebody to seek out people who listen to you. I think that in the medical community, there are people who 
start to believe that they are right and that you should just listen to them. And I believe that that can be incredibly dangerous with um, people dismissing people because I think you know your body. I think that you know your child. You know something's wrong. And there are times when you're fighting so hard and the outcome is so unknown and it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. I mean, believe in what you feel, that if you feel something's wrong, challenge it, ask questions. Don't get discharged from the hospital, but you don't want to be home if you're sick and you can't recognize things or you can't get help or you're alone and you don't have a caretaker. That's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. You're not going to be in a bad position if you question why they're doing things and why they want to send you home and what your options are um, if you go home. And what happens if the outcome, how do you get help? How do you get help if you live in a walk-up apartment that takes you 12 steps and you pass out and you don't have the energy to go downstairs or you don't have access to, or your cell phone doesn't work in a certain part of your house? I mean, there's something that you feel doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. That was Teresa Stickney of Pennsylvania. She's registered her case of dress at the Dress Syndrome Foundation, and her medical information is being used by Vanderbilt University researchers working to identify the genetic factors and predictors related to these drug reactions. Thanks for joining us for Addressing Dress, and please share this information. You can find out more at dresssyndromefoundation.org.